You're listening to Pod Academy. In this podcast, Naomi Winter Vincent explores some of the ideas of influential psychoanalyst Wilfred Bion. Hello. This programme is about the work and life of Wilfred Bion. He was a brilliant thinker and clinician who made an important contribution to the world of psychoanalysis. He lived from 1897 to 1979. Bion is a strange, curious and sometimes maddening writer and thinker, frequently very funny, though it's the kind of dry, facetious humour that could go unnoticed by many. Here's the opening paragraph from his first book, Experiences in Groups. Early in 1948, the professional committee of the Tavistock Clinic asked me to take therapeutic groups, employing my own technique. Now, I had no means of knowing what the committee meant by this, but it was evident that in their view I had taken therapeutic groups before. It was disconcerting to find that the committee seemed to believe that patients could be cured in such groups as these. It made me think at the outset that their expectations of what happened in groups of which I was a member were very different from mine. Experiences in Groups is an important text for anyone interested in group psychotherapy or the study of corporate life. Spoof fly-on-the-wall documentaries such as The Office or 2012, most recently W1A, a satirical account of the inner workings of the BBC, will recognise the low-flying madness of the modern group. Experience is a watchword for Beyond. After Experiences in Groups, he published a book in 1962 called Learning from Experience. He seeks to understand how we learn from exposure to what is new, confusing, confronting. A baby, for example, wrestling painfully with the physical pangs of hunger which it simply doesn't understand. Or an adult trying to get to grips with experiences that defy easy understanding or black and white certitude. Saying this, I'm reminded of Serial, the 12-part podcast which took America and the world by storm in 2014. The show, which takes the reader on a forensically detailed journey through the case of Adnan Syed, a young man convicted on questionable grounds for the murder of his girlfriend, Heyman Lee, seems to me to be a perfect illustration of the kind of thing that Bion is talking about when he discusses the way that we long for closure, for finality, certainty. Serial's presenter, Sarah Koenig, pulls us in on the premise, or promise, that the programme might offer a final answer to the question of Adnan's guilt or innocence, but as the series progresses, the resolution that we long for is endlessly deferred. Next time on Serial. Over time, the programme actually teaches us to stay with our not having an answer, to remain in that frustrating place of our not knowing. Serial's cult appeal, I suggest, has much to do with Sarah Koenig's delivery as with the desire to know who done it. Her presentation is remarkably even-handed throughout, and she makes clear that she too has been on the same frustrating journey that we are now on, struggling with the question of Adnan's guilt or innocence. Very often she even anticipates what we, the listeners, are thinking – why didn't Adnan make more of an effort to remember all the details of that fateful day? In short, in her performance, she provides us with a model for how we too can abide with our own frustration and keep listening in the absence of a clear answer. This is a perfect example of what Bion called containment, an idea which he developed in learning from experience. Koenig takes all of the annoying fragmentary detail of the case the conflicting cell phone data, the neglected alibi, the incriminating phone call, and holds them in suspension for us while we oscillate between outrage at the enormity of the injustice of Adnan's case and our own pangs of doubt in his innocence. 
Beyond describes a kind of typical interaction we have with our mother and other early care providers of a kind that we can readily recognise in babies and toddlers when they blow up with frustration or confusion and rail against whoever is there as though that feeling which they are struggling with is someone else's fault. As adults, we go through something similar, though we don't usually throw the toys out of the pram. But words like irritability, grumpiness, tetchiness, defensiveness might cover it. The role of the container, prototypically but not exclusively the mother, is to receive and bear witness to this frustration, to recognise it and acknowledge how difficult it feels, but also to signal that things are going to be okay. Whatever it is that's troubling us hasn't gone away as such, but we feel reassured enough to move out of that all-guns-blazing panic phase to a place where we can begin to think. Learning for Beyond requires another mind, or the previous experience of another mind, who can accompany us through that initial period of discombobulation and frustration and on into the sunlit uplands of thoughtfulness. Sarah Koenig doesn't give us the answer, but she accompanies us long enough for it to be okay that we may never know what really happened. Her calm, reassuring presence enables us to live in the gap between frustration and satisfaction. For Beyond, this is where thinking can develop. And thinking mattered to Wilfred Bion. He saw it as something that we don't really like to do. We avoid thinking because it costs us, because it's hard. It's easier to respond with a knee-jerk response that closes down an argument, or an equally unthinking, I know, I know, I know. We are required to think, he argues, when life doesn't go our way, when there is a gap between reality and our expectation or desire. Thinking is what takes place in that gap. Mind the gap, you might say. We think necessarily under pressure. And that's something that he understood very well, because of his experience in the First World War. Straight out of school, he became an officer in the British Army at 19 years old, and experienced all the horrors of the trenches. Death everywhere, living under near-continual bombardment, and beyond himself just a teenager, arbitrarily in charge of other men, many of whom died through no fault of his own, Many of whom survived, Beyond would say through no great merit of his own, though he was decorated for bravery. These experiences he details in his typical dry manner across two autobiographies and his war memoirs. They come up again in his final, mad, experimental autobiography come play, Memoir of the Future, in which a cast of around a hundred parts voiced different aspects of his self, his 21-year-old self, his 70-year-old self, his preterm fetal self. It's pretty strange. One episode from the war seems to haunt him, and haunting may be the right word since he speaks of having died on the 8th of August 1918 on the Amiens Road in France. This is an extract from his war memoirs. Unusually, he writes about himself here in the third person. Beyond was aware that Sweeting was trying to talk to him. Above the sound of the barrage, it was impossible to hear any ordinary speech. Bending his ear as close as he could to Sweeting's moving lips, he heard him say, why can't I cough? Why can't I cough, sir? What's the matter, sir? Something's happened. Beyond turned round and looked at Sweeting's side, and there he saw gusts of steam coming from where his left side should be. A shell splinter had torn out the left wall of his chest. There was no lung left there. Leaning back in the shell hole, Beyond began to vomit unrestrainedly, helplessly, then, somewhat recovered, he saw the boy's lips moving again. His face was deadly pale and beaded with sweat. B. 
Beyond bent his head so that his ear came as near as possible to Sweeting's mouth. Mother, mother, write to my mother, sir, won't you? You remember her address, sir, won't you? 22 Kimberley Avenue, Halifax. Write to my mother. 22 Kimberley Road, Halifax. Mother, 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 mother. Oh, for Christ's sake, shut up, shouted Bion, revolted and terrified. He fell limply into Bion's arms, now no longer attempting to press himself into the hole. His face, ghastly white, turned up to the sky. The fog swelled as thickly as ever around them. Every moment they seemed to be bathed in showers of bright sparks, of red-hot steel from the burning shells. Never have I known a bombardment like this. Never, never. Mother, mother, mother. Never have I known a bombardment like this, he thought. I wish he would shut up. I wish he would die. Why can't he die? Surely he can't go on living with a great hole torn in his side like that. What haunts Beyond, I think, is as much his own revulsion at Sweeting's dying entreaties as the awfulness of the lad's injuries. There is no mother, either for Sweeting or for Beyond, able to contain the horror of what is happening, and the extremity of what he experienced in war became Beyond's template for any situation in which we have to continue to think in the face of fear, fury, our various enemies of thought. In his final essay, Making the Best of a Bad Job, written in the year of his death, he writes... In war, the enemy's object is so to terrify you that you cannot think clearly, while your object is to continue to think clearly no matter how adverse or frightening the situation. Working with very disturbed patients, Beyond declared that the role of the analyst at its simplest was to remain able to think in the face of madness, be it the madness of war, the madness of a psychotic patient, or even just the madness of modern life, the business meeting in which everyone says, yes, no, yes, brilliant rather than actually think about the matter at hand. 